Hello and welcome back to the latest episode of the Master of None podcast. I am your host, as always, Stephen Murphy, and I'm joined by the regular rugby crew of Westy and Sam, uh, aka Sammy Barnacles. Uh, he's, he's still, it was, I'm still trying to keep that nickname going uh, because I don't want it to die. Because you know what? It reminds me of a great moment that we had in France as well. Uh, but yeah, we are back. It is the week before Christmas, uh, which is pretty scary to say. Uh, but yeah, before we get stuck into the Champions Cup recap, we'll go around to the lads as always. Westy, how are you? Uh, are you pumped for Christmas? Yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm a big Christmas fan, as as they say. Um, I've been my shopping done. Got into town there yesterday and finished off some bits that I had to get done. Uh, had a great time at the Master on Christmas party on Saturday evening. Uh, it was, a good, it was a good crack. Uh, it was plenty of pizzas and, and pints, just the way I like it. Um, and yeah, yeah, um, um, I, we've been doing like a Christmas film marathon the last kind of couple of weeks, so we've been fairly knocking them out of the park. Um, you know, you know, you're in a good place when your missus says, "Let's sit in tonight and watch Die Hard," and you're like, oh, "Well done." Did well you done, watch on Netflix? Uh, not yet this year, but I have seen it before. It's very, Man, very good. Modern film. classic. Yeah. Oh, I want to check that out because we. We always watch Elf, but then apart from that, you know, I, I, you know, I should talk on the Polar Express. Got no time for it. But uh, is Klaus animated or animated? But it's it yes. tugs at the heartstrings, man. It tugs at the. Heart. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm looking for. Um, Sam, how are you? Good. Yeah, dying today. Uh, we had our staff Christmas party on Friday evening, and then the master known Christmas party on Saturday, and then hefty burrito and loaded fries for dinner yesterday. So. I was walking around with firebutt all day today and work. <laughs> I just work in a school with a load of women, so you gotta be you gotta be careful with that. Uh, so Dave, uh, Sam asked for his own bathroom to be built, uh, like half a kilometer away from the school, <laughs> so he can go and do his business. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I'm recovering, recovering all right now. Good time at the uh, master non Christmas party slash Smurfs big birthday bash. Uh, no longer playing the junior memberships in golf. Yeah, I'm officially in my 30s. Uh, turned 30 on Saturday. Uh, yeah, I had a birthday party slash Master on Christmas party, which was fun. Massive and cake. And speaks... Yeah, oh. uh, vegan cake too. I want to point out there was, a, there was a, something that happened in the Christmas party. Wasn't there some sort of quiz? Wasn't there a quiz organised? Yeah, so organized? I was just uh, considering... I'm sorry, who won the Yeah, I'll get to it, Wesley. I'll yeah. get to it. Don't, no one likes a bad winner. I'm make sure it uh, I was just saying, as you were saying how happy you are when you're with your partner that you wanted to watch Die Hard... My fiance knows me so well. She's like, do you know what Stephen would love for as a gift for his birthday to host a quiz? So we did a quiz, and it was actually a really good quiz. Um, um, my fiance was worried it would be too easy, and it it wasn't. I think you, Westy, you won with a score of like what, fifteen out of twenty five or thirteen out of twenty five? Yeah, uh, I can't remember because there was a, the, the bonus round at the end. So I can't remember how it ended, but it was something like that. Yeah, it was like fifteen. There out was of- a bonus round of five questions about me, and. Again, West, uh, Westy and Root uh, dominated it. Uh, got all my siblings' names correct, which was impressive. Uh, the Wuth Tang clan uh, came big, came through big and strong, in fairness to them. But, yeah, no, great night. And thanks to everyone who kind of donated the last kind of few weeks. Uh, we got kind of a round of free pizzas uh, on the listeners. So we, we really do appreciate that. So thank you. And I'm, yeah, I'm now officially an old man. Um, do you know what didn't help to start off my birthday? The Connacht game. So let's get stuck into that, why don't we? Uh, Champions Cup uh, round two in the books. Connacht away to Saracens, and Saracens beat Connacht fifty-five points to thirty-six. Um, halftime twenty-one seventeen. Just just seen here on the website. God, that seems like a long time ago. Uh, only four points down uh, after a really good first half. Uh, but look, we'll get stuck into it. Um, 
overall, obviously, scoreline not ideal. Shipping, I think it's what, 96, 95 points in the last two games. Um, I think we should start off, though, with some, I suppose, what's the word, maybe some, uh, I don't know, reflection, maybe, or uh, I can't think of the word I'm trying to think of. But, like, we have to remind ourselves, maybe as Connacht fans, A, you know, we are in the big boy, the big boy cup this year. Uh, which is great. This is what we wanted. Like you know, I I just said that, tr- that we were away to Saracens Champions Cup. That's pretty cool to say. Uh, that that that's where we're at. But we're also minnows of this Champions Cup, which is unfortunate to say as well. But that is the truth. Um, so look, there's going to be some of these games where you do ship a lot of points because you are not playing on a level playing field. Saracens uh, are a very very good team, one of the strongest in Europe. Uh, was it five Lions on the the starting team, I, I think, for, Brian, uh, for Saracens? I trying to work it out. I think it's four or five. Uh, Billy Van Opponel at West, he might be able to... He, he wasn't on the last tour. I know he was picked for the tour before, but did he go home injured or something? Because I couldn't see any any Lions caps on him when I was trying to work it out. Still, though, like a, a, talent, a, a Lions talented player, like a talent oh, yeah. level that was good enough for the Lions. Definitely, yeah. But yeah, I couldn't find any Lions caps, so he must have gone home or something. Yeah, I told you, George Vinopolis, both Vinopolis and obviously Owen Farrell. Then you had Sean Maitland, who's no slouch, Nick Tompkins, Alex Goode. Yeah, you know, they're they're a very good team. Um, and one Martin Gonzalez, who uh, was man of the match, he was spectacular. But look, we, we'll get into how some of the bad stuff, and there was bad stuff, as always, with Connacht. There's always bad stuff, but it's just worth kind of t- keeping that in mind when you are talking these games because. Unfortunately, that's just going to happen. But like, we'll get stuck into the game. Um, Westy, as again, halftime score of twenty-one seventeen. I, I think Connacht were arguably the better team in that first half. Like, that's how good it started. Uh, it, everything that we did, we did successfully. We kept them at bay. We made life very, very difficult. Like that first half, there was a ton of positives, right? Yeah, yeah. Even before the first try, I think we were kind of dominant again for the opening, maybe five, seven, eight minutes. Um, to put them under sustained pressure. Um, I think we kind of grew into the game as the first half went on. Now, uh, this change is quite heavy when we get in the second half, but even been able to stop their rolling mall, kind of just kind of, I think it was just outside of the five meter lines, so maybe six or seven meters, it tried to go and we managed to hold them up. Um, it, it, there is some really impressive moments and we're kind of starting to create some chances. We're carrying well, we're tackling well. Um, it, it's similar kind of compound errors that seem to shoot us in the foot. Um and yeah, like it, you can say they're a bigger team, they have a bigger budget, but we're in the competition, so we have to compete. And I think at halftime you're pretty happy with that scoreline, but it comes down to I think even the commentators called them championship minutes, and it's that five minutes before halftime and that five minutes after halftime, and that again similar to the week before at Bordeaux. I think that's just what kills us. Um, if we're able to win those mental battles, uh, or if we're able to win those battle, it's a bigger mental gain than it is a scoreline gain. Um, so I think. With that, Sarsons are able to go into the change room, they're able to talk about the things that Connacht are doing right, and they're able to correct them. Do you know, like their rolling mall is corrected and becomes this insane weapon. I think our scrum was quite poor in the first half, and they started to kind of capitalize on it a little bit more maybe in the second half. Um, so yeah, I think it's the it's maybe the failure to adjust on the Connacht side. They spotted what we were doing well and were able to take it apart. Um, I think we had by the team that we picked, and this is just my opinion, there's no real fact to it, but it kind of looked like we were building to stay in it and then have a big last 30 minutes. You know, like the, the front row that we had in the bench is kind of who I would consider to be maybe a starting front row or kind of a mix and match. Um, so it looked like we kind of did have a plan for the second half, but I think once they score those tries, you just had a half time, we end up completely backpedaling. Um, 
and look at I had this conversation with people after the game. Like I was disappointed after the game because when you're looking back at it, there you know you're kind of thinking, well, we played well for a lot of it. How exactly did we end up quite so far behind? But it's these these areas where they run the pitch, or you know these these compound areas we've talked about before. Um, but an overall like a a point away at Saracens is, is massive. Do you know, again, I think unfortunately the the manner of the loss last week at home makes the whole situation look a lot worse than it is. But as you said, like the front row of Saracens is probably a bigger budget than Connacht have. Do you know now that's a bit uh, of an exaggeration, but it's not too far off it. Um, and again, as you say, the statistic was thrown around, and I think Sam, you confirmed it the other night where I was asking you, we haven't won in England since 2009. So it it continues to be a monkey in the back for us. Mm-hmm. Um, the time to beat that is last year against Newcastle. You know, when we go away, you know, going to going to, um, I can't remember what it's called now, it used to call Allianz Park, uh, going to Scarlet, so what's it called? Zone X. Zone X. Zone X Stadium um, against a team that are currently top of the Premiership is probably not the game you're going to get the monkey off your back of, but taking a, scoring five tries against them is still a massive achievement. So the fact that we took a point is a decent result. You know, it's it's you can't, it doesn't gloss over the fact that you have to examine how exactly we fell quite so far behind. Um, but yeah, I think... We started strong. We put ourselves in a decent position, but it's you know it's thirty five minutes in where the really damaging mistakes start to appear. Saracens, Saracens are fourth in the table. They're they're near the top, but they're not quite Sorry. top at the moment. They're not running away with it the way they kind of have in the past. Uh, and yeah, you said about the two thousand and seven thing, Wesley. I was only listed craggy this morning uh, twice since ninety six. Like so, it's not even just once since two thousand and seven. Twice since ninety six. Like England is not a happy hunting ground. First time we've ever scored five tries in England as well. Like so. There's context there. I don't know if Connacht has a ton of hunt, happy hunting grants, but anyway, let's we, we can we can argue that point at a different uh, stage. Sam, let's talk about those ten minutes for the the, the half that Westy uh, refer, refer, references there. Like as I said, Connacht are doing everything well. Everything seems to be we're going through the gears nicely. We're doing we're doing everything we do well, and, and which is great. And then it's it's two jackal turnovers from from kind of restarts. Uh, and it's a kick it to the corner, and it's two malls, and it, and that's it. Like we're 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 behind going into the to the halftime, uh, team talk, and it changes the entire sort of outlook on the game. Is is there something that Connacht you think aren't doing very well in those ten minutes? Is there a, an argument for hey, we're not normally very good in this kind of period of a game? We should sort of batten in the hatches. Is that even a thing that Connacht can do? What are your thoughts on that kind of ten minutes before and even after the the halftime as well, where we tend to concede you know more often than we should. Yeah, we look soft. We look like a team that maybe are quite easy to work out. And that's why coaches are able to go in at halftime and give an answer to their team because they can come out. You saw Bordeaux last week and Saracens this week. They come out and they have a game plan set for what we were doing well and it worked straight away. You know, they got in for another two tries in the first 10, 15 minutes of the second half. It's that championship minutes, Wes, you referenced the 10 minutes before, the 10, 15 minutes after. Those two tries, like... I find it very hard to say that there's anything Connick can do about it outside of, you know, execute a little bit better. The second one in particular, Ralston makes an unbelievable catch away from his body, but there's just no one there. It's, you know, they're guarding the catcher quite well, but not getting around. And Saracens had, uh, they'd identified that definitely in Connick because there was a, a numerous different kicks and they're quite a kick heavy team. I think I was listening to Craig earlier and they had Carty on after and he said that they had identified that Saracens had a very aggressive box kicking game and a quick counter rooking game. And we gave them two penalties and they utilized those penalties. We'd held them all decently until that point, but it was always going to cave against a team as strong as Saracens with that front, with that pack in general. So I don't know if there's anything in particular you can do, but on the whole, yeah, I don't like the the 
current situation where we are kind of creating a habit of of just falling short in that middle third of the game, starting well, finishing well, but letting teams into it. Leinster, it, it was very evident in that game as well. So I don't know if those, those instances in particular are anything that you can work on, really. like they, That was excellent execution by Saracens to win those penalties. They identified an area that they were going to go for and they got it. And our players did quite a lot of what they needed to do, which was get the catch. But, you know, the the rooking was just overpowered. And then when they put it in the corner, the Jamie George from five meters out, you know, he's a Lions hooker for a reason. He's he's a phenomenal player, much as, you know, some people would dislike him. I, I really like him as a player, but he uh, he just took advantage of that and they they did maul us over. So it's it's more of a mindset and an overall game management thing that you need to work on in, in this case, particular instances. I think that the, the mindset and the, the game management across the uh, across that kind of middle third, just we need to do something where we have some sort of tactic or some, some sort of game plan where we can keep hold and make ourselves the horrible team to play against, not give away easy possession and allow them to capitalize and get penalties and that sort of thing and then go into the corner. So... It's very hard to put your finger on one particular reason because in the three or four games where that middle third of the game has been an issue, it's not been the same issue. It's been various issues. So it's probably more of a mindset game management thing than it is actual in individual circumstances. Yeah, no, it, it's 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 a strange one. Um, let's look at the second half as well. Kind of the second half kicks off. Connacht don't look as sharp as it did in the first half. A lot of that is from I think Saracens picking up their uh, their their game as well, and then. Uh, Prendergast gets a yellow card kind of Saracens are on a break uh, interception I think it was um, from a pass and we concede 15 points in, in the 10 minutes um, that Prendergast is on the bench which kills kills the game I think the gulf then between the teams kind of become clear but then Westy with that point about the yellow card Maro Tojic was off for 10 minutes and Saracens score a try <laughs> what uh why is there anything we could have done? Is is the defensive system that we have at the moment, which we love in a lot of aspects because it's so physical, it's in your face. Is 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 that a good defensive system for when you're down a man and there's an advantage? Saracens seem to be able to get the ball pretty wide, pretty easily, and make up huge ground. Is there a case for again maybe switching that up for scenario based or scenario you know scenarios for example? <laughs> yeah, scenario based scenarios. Um, yeah, it's a funny one. Do, do we score two tries with Maros off as well? I, I can't remember the exact timeline of. of yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it, look in a way the damage is is kind of done when Maro goes off. Like I mean they are kind of already at that point. Uh, I forget my maths. Were they twenty points ahead? Maybe uh, 25, 30, I don't, geez, I don't know. At um, one point, at one point they were because it was twenty one seventeen. Then they went up to forty two seventeen. I think. Yeah. So. Yeah, so like I mean, at that point, it's really difficult to capitalize on a yellow card. But I mean, credit to the boys, and in fairness, credit to the boys the whole way through. They stayed in the fight, and they do manage to get something out of, out of that time, which is good. But um, yeah, I think maybe when, like, look, Connacht are, and I know like, we've talked about the degree to which this has changed over the last few years. But Connacht are still a free flowing attacking team. We like to keep the ball, we like to play with the ball. Um, last year we kicked it a fair bit more. This year we're trying to kind of run, run again a little bit from, from areas maybe where other teams wouldn't run. Um, and, you know, maybe when they're down an extra man, we need to rein it in a little bit and play that little bit more conservatively where you're able to draw men in and then kick to the corners, you know, especially if you've got someone like Jack at 10, who is such a good distributor from the boot. Um, but I think one of the things that, that, that um, like, we, we do react in the game at times. Like one of the things that bothered me, and I know you were talking about defence earlier, but, um, you know, they tried a lot very heavily to, to, to dink through every so often. And, you know, nine months out of ten, we actually blocked it. But the problems are... 
the, the, the dinks that work occur when that man in the backfield, so let's say, now again, normally you're fullback, but it could have been either of your wings, depending on the position of the pitch you're in, rejoins the line because they're hammering up, hammering up, hammering up. And then that man steps forward and there's a space behind. They kick over the top and run and score under the posts. You know, like it's a, we, we are reacting to an attack, but we seem to be reacting. And again, like at, at times when we shouldn't react to the fence, you know, so is that a bit of wanting to have your cake and eat too? If you're going to, if you're going to react, you have to pick your moments, right? So you can't, and again, you can't just say, oh, when they're down to 40 men, we're going to play this way because, you know, it, it, it won't be the same. Some teams are, are better than others with 14 men. And, you know, sometimes it, it galvanizes the team. And I think this is a little bit of maybe the old Connacht that we saw where, you know, the, we, the other team would get a yellow guard and we'd concede 14 points and then score a penalty. You know, it's, um, it's difficult to put your finger on it. But I think, yeah, I, I think our, our reaction at times is difficult to measure. Um, but again, like, I don't want to sound like I, I'm being really hard on them because it, it is one of the one of the most successful franchises in this competition and, and in the English Premiership. So, um, but yeah, it, I, I think the damage is maybe done when Mara goes off. I think the yellow card's fair as well. Like I, the player does cut back in, and that's going to change the the angle of what happens. But um, yeah, it, it it's always upsetting when they're down to forty minutes and then they get over the line. But um, I think they had a system that worked at that stage. They really knew how to hurt us already, and we weren't able to to solve those problems on the pitch. Which again is funny because I don't think that's been a problem up until the last month. I don't think that was a big problem in the in the, in the opening games. Okay, granted, maybe a lower standard of teams, but other even against Ulster and Glasgow, we were able to solve problems on the pitch and and, and sort it out. So. Um, yeah, it's a worrying trend, I think, as, as you said earlier, that, that's creeped in. But you're still in the infancy of the implementation of this current defensive system. Like, the defensive system is noticeably different than it has been. You know, Friendy went through as a head coach with different defensive coaches in place, different systems. But this one is noticeably different. It's a lot more aggressive on the outside. But there was a one of the kicks through, I think the commentators were highlighting at halftime, like Blady was, wasn't in position and he's been sweeping all season. So these players are still trying to come to terms with it whether or not it works naturally to their game or whether or not they have to buy into it and learn it. And I think that takes longer than a couple of months, especially when there's, you know, there's rotational changes, there's players coming back from World Cup, there's playing at a higher standard, all of those things. I think, like, if you if you look at Munster at the start of last season, everyone was kind of criticising, like, oh, the way they're playing, it doesn't look like they know what it's doing. And then it clicked. And I think that that could be the case with Connacht. So I wouldn't buy too much into it not working across the board. I'd... I, prefer to maybe clutch at straws but also like look like grasp those green shoots and look at what we were doing well and then you identify and the coaches will identify the stuff that's going wrong and try and implement some sort of transitional version of it to such a stage we don't throw it out straight away and I, I like I think anything you know being overly critical of it is very harsh because that's the Saracens team that will do that to a lot I, I don't think that you come against Dragons or Cardiff or Ospreys you know they're going to do half the damage that Saracens did against that system we are you know I think we're kind of and it's it's Silly to say as Connacht fans, but you're in a bit of bonus territory when you're playing away at Saracens. You know, you, you can't create a game plan for that one game that happens every like five years. You know, you have to create a game plan that you think is going to get you the best position in the league because that's your bread and butter. And I don't think there's too much wrong with this system. I think that they're just not quite there in terms of their understanding of it and their their implementation of it. No, I think I think you're right. I think uh, we were, I think I said this season in the pub on Saturday night, but it's like you know we, we're not. We're not building a system to try and stop Bordeaux week in week out, or like a Saracens pack, because like we're not facing that, so it'd be stupid to do that. With something like Bordeaux, and I was not last week, but like 
Now, I know what you're going to say is like, oh, we're trying to stop the offloads, but we end up falling off tackles at midfield and giving them this red carpet to run out through, and then their offloading game kills us, right? Now, they were brilliant in attack, and they hit hard lines. And for the most part, I would say part of that was resolved in the Saracens game. But at the same time, I still think we are falling off tackles that we should be making, and it's becoming a problem. I think if you look at the ERC statistics, we have, if not the worst, one of the worst defences in the league. And the problem is we're... It's not like years ago where we were putting on loads of tries so it looked a bit better. We're not scoring those tries. Now, again, this is, I think, again, we talked about this in the pub, but I can't remember the answer, but this is the first time we scored five tries this season or the second, maybe. Maybe we got four. No, games. first. Yeah, so look, maybe that, that attack is also catching up because Sam said it's a new attack coach, new systems that are in place. But, um, yeah, it, 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 like okay, the, the system takes time to bed in, but like it, it does still create these worrying statistics, and these things become more and more worrying when the results aren't going our way. So I'm not saying throw the baby out with the batwater, but I'm seeing and saying that um, I don't know what I'm saying exactly. The answer is, but there there are times where we don't look like we know what we're doing, and it's not necessarily that we're not in the right shape. It's that you know people aren't sure who has what man. They're falling off tackles. I think that that is the misunderstanding of a system like you that's the coaches maybe need to relay it better and they need to buy into it but you're still very early into the implementation of scott fardy's defensive system under pete wilkins like so that is like if players look like they don't know who should be where that is because they're not understanding a system not because they can't do the basics you know the basics are are being missed because they're not doing the thing properly and in from what i think anyway you see, when it's working, it works very well, but they don't seem to be able to maintain that for 80 minutes because I don't think that it's natural yet. I think that it takes time to bet in. And like Leinster are getting the same sort of thing. They're getting a lot of kind of mismatches, missed tackles. They're not quite, you know, the results aren't quite as poor as ours, so it's it's not showing as much, but they are still implementing a new system as well. And it's, it's very obvious. And I just, I think that you can see a lot of very good stuff here that will take time. And I'm just going to keep harping back to when we were all listening to people saying that like Roundtree should be sacked five, six games into the season last year. And then he's gone on and won the league because it did just click. And it kind of clicked at that around that South Africa A game and everything just started working. And then they just became really, really hard to play against on both sides of the ball. And Connick look like they're, they're close and I think that I can click and I do think that there's been a lot of really good stuff so I, I would put it personally down to a lot of like just still not quite being fluent in the systems that are in place and that could be on coaches to try and explain it better but it could also just be on it needs to kind of work itself out yeah I think it's a TBD at the moment um I think there's a lot of there's some of the stuff I love I love how physical it is I love how much of a nuisance we made of the rocks uh, at the weekend uh, I love that we have that kind of sort of you know dark side to us a little bit of the dark arts where we're going to try and we're not going to just give you a nice platform to play off at least when we when possible. Uh, but then yeah, we are shipping a lot of points. Like I'm looking at the URC and I think Sam, you're right. We don't know yet, but we're the only team in the top twelve that has a negative point differential. Mm. Um, everyone else is positive. And now again, let's look at that in another eight games time and see where the, where it's at. But yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, again, someone asked me, I was chatting to the game, I kind of summed up the game perfectly for me because they hadn't seen the game. They're like, oh, like anyone have any really bad games? And I was like, no, like no one, like none of the players I thought stood out as like, having a particularly bad game. Like, I thought Porchy showed great flashes, uh, especially for someone who's only played, I think this is a second game or third game. Um, I thought Bundy looked really good, looked really engaged, which is all, all we ever ask from Bundy is that he's, you know, intrigued and interested in the game. I mean, we have to talk about Shane Bolton. I know he didn't really do like anything in particular spectacular, but 
we have been wanting him to play regularly for so long now because and I, the the passage of play with with Owen Farrell is exactly what we love about him. He has that attitude of like you know what fuck you I don't give a shit. Uh, I'm going to go after you here, I'm going to physically impose myself and then I'm going to give you a little shove. And then, of course, Owen Farrell being the idiot he is, he bites and, and gives away a penalty, which is strength, great to see. But. The strength Bolton shows for that, you know, just before Bundy's miracle offload for JJ's try, the strength he shows to stay in pitch at that time, that's what I want from a winger. Like, that's the sort of strength that James Lowe brings to Leinster. You know, he keeps the ball in play because he's like that. Uh, and that's I think that that's, you know, that's so valuable from a wing point of view. Like we're, we're stacked at wing, you know, Santi Corzol or Santi Cordero come back and Mac, obviously, Porchy, uh, Kilgallen. Like we are stacked in the back three, but I think that that's a different uh, aspect or a different style that you I think you can't really put a price on. I have one real nitpicky point. I don't think you can say Santi come back, Sammy. He didn't come to begin with, you know. No, but he's, he's <laughs> but, you know, let's not get all Munster and Archie Snyman on this, okay? We can't really say <laughs> come back. He hasn't played yet. He's coming back. He's coming back from injury. <laughs> well, then come say back. from injury. Don't say come back. To come back. That's a say. That's how you say it. That's I'm just keeping us honest, you know. We can't. We can't cut it two ways, you know. To all of us, take that. I want. We want you back. We want you back for good, Santi. That's what we want. But uh, Bolton, like he's 23, six foot two, he's 104 kgs. He is, a, he's a big boy, and um, I'm just convinced that if he leaves Connacht, he's going to go on and be a superstar somewhere, and we're going to look back and be very, very disappointed that he left. So the fact that he's actually still here, I was shocked. I thought he would have went last season, but he just trying to keep him on the pitch is, is, the, is has been the problem, uh, and I just think if we get a good run of form from him, he will be outstanding. Um, I thought Jack played pretty well. I thought Blade pretty, again. Like no one, no one had a poor game. I thought Paul Boyle again was fantastic, especially that first half. I thought he really put himself about, carried big, and and kind of again put his hand up as the Paul Boyle that we all knew and love. Uh, you know, whatever two seasons ago. So I think like Wesley Paul Boyle. I suppose, like, would you like to see him play a bit more now in that number eight jersey from what we've seen the last two games of him? He's yeah, out. definitely. Shame it's not going to happen. Um, yeah, oh, he's yeah, he is out right. injured. He's seen Shit. a specialist for ice socket, Sam, is that what said? Yeah, after that marrow um, hit. Yeah, so, if, you know, sorry if we're breaking this news, but I'm pretty sure it's been on Twitter already. Um, but, yeah, no, but I, tot- I totally agree. I mean, I think it was a funny one for us because I remember Paul Boyle was kind of said that he was cleared to play before the South Africa trip and he wasn't brought. Um, so we were wondering what the situation was there, but um, I think even since the game last week, I think he's come back with a real intensity, a real drive, a real fire. His ball carrying's been outstanding. His work rate's been really good. Um, so it's kind of really unfortunate to hear today that he's um out for a kind of an, an undisclosed amount of time, or like a you know it's not like there's like a calf string, a calf strain or something. It's um it, it's a specialist. Be- like so we don't know how long he's going to be out and i mean that in the sense that like he does need game time he hasn't played a lot over the last two years and if we want to see him maintain the heights that we saw these few games i think he needs to get a good run of form um i'd be happy with him in there i think um next week again if he was available now he's not but um i would be happy to see him retained um or even to see him maybe um brought in uh, in a replacements position to kind of uh, add a bit of uh, pressure, add a bit of power, add a bit of kind of uh, a bit of bastard maybe for the last 20 minutes of games uh, when we get back to the URC. But um, yeah, I think he's been really impressive. Um, but unfortunately, um, I'm still really excited for Sean O'Brien though. Um, but I I do think that Boyle has that little bit more of experience and that little more uh, kind of cohesion and fluidity within the squad. Um but yeah, this weekend now could be a huge chance for uh, for Sean O'Brien to pop back in at eight. 
let's talk about the next two games because let's be honest uh, with a bit of perspective these are much more important uh, the next two games than the previous two games in terms of Connacht season uh, that I'm referring to of course the away trip to Ulster this Friday and then home to uh, Munster uh, for the for New Year's Day um, Sam we'll get to Ulster in a, in a second but this is this is this has become a big game now due to the fact that there's a bit of a negative spin now in Connacht season just with the last kind of results and how well we started but as we know, it's a fickle sport. A good result here at the weekend, and the season turns round again. There's a bit more of a positive outlook on it. Uh, but it is a huge game for both sets of fans. Yeah, it's a massive narrative game, narrative shaping game, your season narrative and all of that. But like, actually, when it comes down to it, you know, you could lose these two and still easily get into the top eight. Like we saw last year, you're you're you can lose a good number of games and still get into the top eight. You need to get a few more bonus points, a few losing bonus points and stuff. The games aren't the be-all and end-all the way it might seem, but if you do have two losses, the negative kind of uh, commentary around the team gets very, very hard to overcome. And it, it really puts pressure on the players. It'll put pressure on the coaching staff. The media won't like it. The fans won't like it. So I think that from that from that kind of narrative-shaping point of view, it is so important that they get some sort of result or have good uh, good performances. I don't know how they're going to approach the, the game now between Ulster and Munster. I think at some point Bundy's going to have to be rested. It's very unlike Bundy to play a few games in a row, 80 minutes at a time for Connacht. You know, he's done it for Ireland, but not for Connacht in a long time. So I wouldn't be surprised if Bundy doesn't play this weekend and they save him for Munster at home and they identify Munster at home maybe as the game to get the result at, just given it's at home and, you know, traveling up to Ravenhill is never easy, especially around Christmas time. And Kyle Ford has not been poor at 12 all season. He's arguably one of our better players. So I don't think it's any step down. But Farrell was excellent at the weekend. I actually think that, like you said, that there was no really bad performances. So I don't think there's anyone played themselves out of contention. I think a couple have played themselves into contention. You know, Anger and Duggan will be in the squad and I'd be happy to see them because I think they both played well. So however they approach these games will be up to the coach. I think you'll see continuous rotation the way they've shown all season. They want to seem to seem to want to do that given the eleven games in a row and how strenuous it's been. And then you have two pretty big games away to Leon and home then to Bristol after that. So there'll be some rotation, but I'd say it'll be as close to full strength as possible. Personally, I'd like to see like maybe a Niall Murray brought in, uh Sean O'Brien, like Westy said, or even Sean Jansen, because I think that he has something, he might not have shown it yet, but I think he has something that Connick do lack, which is just that size and Hurley Langton as well. Uh, there, there's room there for rotation without significantly weakening, weakening the team. The games are going to be, they're going to be important because they're going to shape the way a lot of people talk. There's already negativity around kind of the social media side of things. And sometimes the fan base are a little downhearted with the results out of context. They look quite poor. So to get a significant boost, quite similar to what Ulster got at the weekend against Racing, you know, that, that can do a lot for, for just a fan base's mentality and just kind of an, a nice easy reset and just take the pressure off a little bit. So yeah, you'd want to hope, but if it's not, you know, it's hard to say this to people. If it's not, it's not the end of the world. If they lose these two games, like they can still easily get in the top eight, but it just looks and feels a lot harder. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Again, it's, it's the performance as well that we get. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, I think Wes, you said it perfectly is you were a lot happier after, the loss to Saracens and you were at to Bordeaux just because the, you know obviously we got a point against Saracens but even if we didn't get a point the performance was tons better so and I think that's that's the best way to wrap up the the Connacht stuff here is it is a, bon- a losing bonus point they put up 34 points 35 points what was it 36 points sorry uh, away to Saracens which is that's a positive to take from it 
Um, and it's a, a losing bonus point that every Cork fan, if they were being realistic themselves before the kickoff, would have taken uh, with open hands. So, um, yeah, the, but definitely next two games uh, more important. Uh, speaking of our upcoming rivals, Ulster, um, talk about a much needed win. Uh, Ulster beat Racing at home, thirty-one points to fifteen, um, leading twenty-one-five at half time. I'm sure every Ulster fan, because I know I was thinking it too. Is when when are they going to throw this away? When are Rasa going to come back and make this you know a nail biting finish? Um, and they didn't. They didn't do that. And Ulster held on and and had a great win. Um, Westy Dan McFarland probably needed this more than any other coach at the moment in terms of just some good good vibes around Ulster. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we had mentioned before that there might have been a kind of a bit of a growing concern or a consternation, if that's the right word. Um, on Dan McFarlane, uh, the way not even not even the results, but the performances kind of before this, um, weren't looking great. But as kind of Sam already said, a win like this against Racing at home in Ravenhill just can have a real knock-on effect. And I think this win makes them significantly harder to beat. Uh, next week, going back to the URC, you know they'll take a lot of confidence from that. They'll take a lot of pride from that. Um, they will hopefully they will back their kind of game plan, but. I think what's really kind of good is like they capitalized on errors that Racing made quite early on. Like, like it took a while for Racing's lineup to get going, and, and Ulster were really, you know, were really aware to that. Um, okay, maybe they're a little bit lucky that that try gets chalked off that first break. Um, Legaric was he chalked off for crossing, I think. Um, but again, Ulster used that to keep the momentum on their side and build a really heavy lead going into the second half. So, um, I think that it. It'll do a lot for the game management, which I think may have been a problem in a couple of the other fixtures. Um, and yeah, I'll just restore a bit of faith. And, you know, look, there's still, still a higher position than us in, in the league. Um, but again, I'll say it's not just the results that the fans weren't delighted with. It's, it's the it's the performances they were getting. Um, a big shift from Kitsoff um, at last. So hopefully that, you know, kind of, not that anybody was questioning the signing, but maybe, you know, it took a, a couple of games to get going for, for Ulster by the looks of it. Um, and then some strong performance from your from your stalwarts from your the likes of uh, was it Mally Ray, um, the Henderson. Um, I thought Mike Lowry looked great. Um, so yeah, it looks like they're kind of come. It, you can't go off one game, right? Obviously you can't. But it looks like they found a pretty good rhythm in that game, and it'll be a real test for them now if they can carry that rhythm forward to Connacht coming to town. Yeah, I think that's the big question: is uh, is that a one-off, Sam? Is this is this a a, a, a kind of papering over the cracks here a little bit or do you think have Ulster found something now that they can take on for the rest of the season I hope for this week's sake there's a complete <laughs> one off I think it's relatively in the middle of what you're saying there they went back to a lot of the tried and tested they lent on some experience you know you said Billy Burns coming in he's more experienced you John Cooney Matty uh, Ray Timoney uh, Ian Henderson Alan O'Connor like Rob Herring they've, they've gone for some of those players that have done it for them in the past. The accounts from Dan McFarland throughout the week is that it was quite player-led in terms of some of the things that they did and some of the stuff they tried. Whether or not that's a somewhat damning indictment on his own coaching ability or whether or not uh, it's actually really excellent coaching remains to be seen. I don't think they're out of the woods yet. I think that, you know, you can't have you can't have that level of sort of insecure uh, performances just completely disappear after one result but I think it does a lot to help the confidence you know to say like oh look I can do this we know how to do it we have something about us kids off having a good game will have stood to them uh, and the result will always you know that'll always be a good result like that's there's no denying that you know they they we said a couple of times now in the last few weeks they want 
their players to get back into form. They want Balakun to get back to the form. The new Hume from pre-injury form, McCluskey's always going to be quite good, but they can, you know, they want him to be all guns blazing. And I thought, Wes, you mentioned Mike Lowry. That's the best game I've seen from him in a good long time. I think he was kind of in the Ireland squad, in around the Ireland squad for a while, uh, off the back of some unbelievable performances. And people were genuinely talking about him as being contender for Keenan at the time. And he went to New Zealand, didn't play in the test, but he was there uh, on merit. And it just didn't quite work for him. Uh, and he's not been the same since. So if they can have them, uh, that back three and those, those backs firing behind a big, strong pack, you know, they're going to be really hard to beat. I don't think that they're all going to be magically over whatever insecurities they've had in the last couple of weeks, but results like that will help to improve and they'll want to go out and show that it wasn't a fluke and try and beat Connacht. And I'm kind of hoping that it was a big fluke and that whatever paper they put over those cracks just disintegrates in the, the winter evening. No, I th- yeah, I totally, I totally agree. We don't know yet, but like, I'm delighted for Ultra fans because it's been pretty grey for the last kind of couple of months just but just again not necessarily with results all the time but just a little bit of a what the hell's going on here everything around the club like it's even you know the you listen to the ulster is the red hand podcast you look on the forums and they don't they don't seem happy and content as a fan base with you know the lads in charge the coaching staff the pitch everything just seems to be kind of against them so it is yeah it's quite a grey quite a dark kind of time at the moment and they they're good enough to be in conversations at the business end of all the seasons, you know, the the league and the cup, but they 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 needed to show that. Yeah, so it just it's good that uh, they have, you know, what that's a great win and, you know, uh, I said it, it wasn't like Racing sent over nobody's. Um so fair, fair play to them. Uh delighted, for the, you know, I am genuinely happy for them. You know, wouldn't mind a loss this weekend for them. But look at it swings and roundabouts. Um moving on to Munster. Uh, they were away to Exeter Chiefs. Uh, they come out losing 32 points, 24, leading by 9 points at halftime, 19 points to 10. And if you ask any Munster fan here, Westy, I think they will say that they threw this game away. Is that something that you agree with? Um, yeah, I mean, throwing away is 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 harsh, I think. I think Exeter played really well. I, I think even there are times in the first half you can see that Exeter are playing well. Munster are just getting around them. And that's a way that Exeter play, by all accounts. I'm not an expert on the Premiership, but... Exeter try to force you to go wide. They leave space out there for you. And if you can, you know, uh, they try to put you under pressure when you go for it. But um, I think particularly ones like uh, Anton Frisch's try in, in the first half, I thought was a fantastic use of the space. They, they drew in really well and, and put themselves in a fantastic scoring position. Um, but yeah, I just think that like Exeter just, I mean, maybe, maybe not directly to start of the second half, but they just kind of regathered themselves at halftime and came out kind of, I don't want to say a different team, but they just came out a more accurate team. Um, and they really managed to kind of, uh, again, say impose themselves on, on Munster is, is harsh, um, but they really managed to play to their own strengths and and build in. I think, um, I, I'm not sure I have to watch it back. I, I think Munster weren't overly happy with some of the referent decisions that, that went against them. Um, You'll be shocked to know, FC, that the losing team's fans weren't happy with the referee. But again, <laughs> but again, it's one of those things like extra get those two tries in quick succession. I think it's in the space of like three or four or five minutes or something. And 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 that puts them in the ascendancy. That puts them in control of the game. So, um, yeah, I think uh, Munster would be... I, I think, again, right, like so similar, like extra is a really tough place to go to get a win. The fact they come away with nothing is quite disappointing, but it's, it's off the back of a game last week against Bayon that they really should have won. Again, they kind of failed to see it out. They let Bayon build back into the game and get that score at the end to kind of t- to seal the draw. So, um, 
I think it's a similar issue for Munster. I, I think just as they were starting to play really well in the in the URC, um, and again that, that they played really well in in, in most of of this game. I still think, um, I think Frisch has been so good. I think um, who is the um, um, the, the the Kiwi that they saw. I think I think he's been outstanding. Um, but you're also seeing this kind of. Um, I think maybe Sam, did you bring it up in the pub? We were talking about we were talking about college. We were talking about uh, Shane Bolton playing on the wing, was it? Yeah. Um, whereas Munster are doing kind of a similar thing. We're seeing this across the Irish province happen. Oh, sorry, we were talking about Leinster. We were talking about who did Charlie Natai come on for last week, and he came on on the wing. So then you have two other Irish provinces doing a similar thing. We've got Sean O'Brien, who when he played for Connacht was a, a centre, and when he played for uh, Exeter as well, I think again by all accounts was a centre playing on the wings. So we're seeing this system come in a bit more, which I think is really interesting. Um. But yeah, probably not seeing the best of Sean O'Brien. Maybe again out of position. I don't know what's fits an experiment that they're running. Um, but yeah, I think Crowley's playing great. I just think yeah, unfortunately they just kind of took their foot off the gas, let Exeter get on top of them, and then uh, and then couldn't wrestle it back. Sam, the you know we we talk about trends with teams. The second half stuff for Munster is again it's it's we've nearly too much of a sample size for it now not to be a thing. Uh, five points. Uh, the latest game in second half, and it's you know tried the URC as well. Do you think this become like the players will probably say that it's not in their heads, but surely it has to at this stage where you know even small things where like you're sixty minutes into the game, you're like, oh, we haven't scored here yet. We need to score. You know, so small things like that. But is it is it a, is it a fully an issue now for Munster? Is this something that they're talking about? Do you think it looks like it becomes a self fulfilling pro- um, prophecy? I don't think it's something that they'd be actively talking about. But I think as a coaching staff, they'll want to put in place something that kind of counters it. It will get in your heads, like you know, if you've ever been on a team that loses kind of regularly in the last minute and stuff. As soon as you know, say Jack Dunn scores that try after kind of two bad bounces and a bit fortuitous, there's no way that the Munster fans can't go on. Oh, or the most players can't have gone, oh, jeez, it's going to happen again now. Uh, and that's kind of, they, it puts Munster into the ascendancy, or uh, extra into the ascendancy. It is becoming a bit of a habit for them. I, I think it probably not quite at crisis level yet. You know, they've got, that's a tough game. They've got some games, winnable games in the next couple of weeks, and they can, they can probably get that monkey off their back easily enough. They have pretty significant as well, uh, injury concerns you know there's some big players missing for them week in week out and it, it makes it harder you see Gavin Coombs interestingly playing in the second row with Tom Ahern sticking to the back row so they've, they've changed those two boys around for whatever reason it is I think Tom Ahern was excellent maybe they just want to keep him at six and just keep keep that going and, and move Gavin to facilitate it but in that last that second half that sort of habit that they're they're growing into it does yeah it I don't know if they'll be actively talking about it as players. I don't think they're going to sit down and go, oh, geez, we're, we're not very good in the second half. You know, what's that about? And it goes, oh, well, I shit myself every time they score a try. That sort of thing, not the way it works. But the coaches will be aware of it and they'll look to maybe, you know, we said last year, Leinster came out the blocks every game. They scored early in every game. And that was actively something that they worked on. And I think that Munster coaches will probably try to do similar. They'll probably try and and build some sort of, you know, two-minute drill or whatever you call it in American football, that, that championship minutes, they'll, they'll do something to try and get that monkey off their back so that it just relieves the pressure because it does, it builds and builds and builds. And every time it happens again, the players, they'll start to believe it more. And, you know, they'll read it and they'll see it on Twitter and all of those things. So yeah, it's it's worrying. It's hard. It's a hard place to be as a player because it doesn't look like they're doing anything wrong. I thought they were significantly better and extra for a lot. And I thought they used the width and they kicked really well and they had a really, really smart game plan. And then Exeter, I don't know if they worked it out because they didn't seem like they changed much, but they just took advantage of 
everything that happened and they got a bit fortuitous and then they got their backs up and then they were at home and the DJ was playing really loud music and all of those things seemed to add up to just it going Exeter's way. And I thought that last bit, that last try, I know it was, you know, inconsequential. Like they, they went from a point to no points, but I don't know if Murray was trying to buy the penalty. And if he was trying to buy the penalty, I think it was a silly thing to do. I don't, if he wasn't, it was just a poor pass. But if he was trying to buy the penalty, I think that that was stupid. They were on the ascendancy at the time. I think it. I. I think it. I think he does try and buy the penalty because it's such a bad pass that. Yeah, it's it has so, to be that. It's so it has flimsy. To be that. Just in the middle of no yeah. land. And it's not like it wasn't like super kickable territory either. Like it was halfway halfway line, wasn't it? So. No, I thought they were. Going, uh, he was trying. He was going to buy try and put it down the corner. Like that's what I thought they. Yeah, do, maybe. But, but they just had to. It's, it's really for, for a man of his experience. It was. It was silly. I think. But look, it's, you know. Especially because Exeter had like three interceptions in the entire game, like it was something that they were they were looking for and 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 done frequently, so it was always on the cards for them. But you know, I suppose uh, hindsight is obviously you know easy easy to pick from. But um, I think the big thing coming from that game is that Andy Farrell he cannot deny the the new star winger in Ireland, which is Tom O'Hearn. Um You got to get him in. Uh, Max in trouble. We all know it. But no, it's it's like it's obviously they're trying. He's out there all the time, and it's it's working. It's brilliant to see. Uh, I mean, they show it down your throat that he used to play fullback every five minutes when he's playing. But you can see that burst of speed is there, and he's very comfortable running with the ball. And it's by all, I, I love it. Like Munster do that with they always have kind of a manny out there as well when he plays yeah. too. But I like it. I it's think a, it's smart. It's a done thing with like a with a one three three one system. Like you usually have like either it, it tends to be like a front row usually your hooker on one wing and then like one of your back rows or second rows whoever's kind of more nimble on the other wing so it's 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 not a groundbreaking way of doing it they've just now found a player who is just like Dan Sheehan's been in it for Leinster for years but we're all kind of used to that now but like it's like Tom Iron galloping down that wing ball in hand is just beautiful to watch like the, the scrum half didn't make up any ground on him like, <laughs> he just he got like I know granted he's covering twice the ground in every stride that the scrum half's doing it but still it's impressive <laughs> Um, it must be so much fun if you're that forward. You're like, oh, sweet, yeah, no, you go, you guys do all the dirty work. I'll be over here in the wing, just wait for my kick over the top. But uh, no, I loved it. Uh, fair play to him. He, he's really, really uh, come on as a player as well. Like he's, he looks like to be the real deal. Uh, but yeah, disappointing for Munster. Um, last province in action was Leinster. Um, that game was on Saturday evening. They had uh, Sale Sharks coming to Dublin. Uh, Leinster come out on top, thirty-seven points, twenty-seven. Um, losing at half time here I think a lot of people expected this to be a dead rubber uh, a lot of talk of the team that Sale sent over but Sale come out all all cylinders kind of going Sam leading at half time you gotta you know we'll get to Lens in a second but you gotta give it up to Sale that was a, that was a good performance definitely I it was I didn't like a lot of the commentary around the, the changes that Sale had made like seasons are there to be managed you can't go full 23 every time this is a game that they will have identified as one that was quite hard and they have a six-day turnaround next week so i didn't like that and i didn't like how they were being written off either and i'm sure their players that were picked didn't like how they were written off because they're professional rugby players so they had a game plan they had a game plan that worked and they capitalized on some some early sloppiness from leinster and i think they got themselves rightfully into the lead where it was the strength of leinster showed in the end but yeah when you get to the half time half time the way they were doing it they had they had done enough and i thought that they were playing quite well so it was it was a really good fu to all the lads that had written it off and be like oh it just it demeans the top competition it makes it a farce and all this stuff because it was still a really entertaining game and leinster were pushed and that was a really strong leinster team that were pushed you know to the limit and on top of it being a strong leinster team 
Leinster managed to rotate a couple of players in that got some really good experience in a game where they were pushed. So I think everyone is kind of a winner here. I think Sale did what they were going to do anyway. Uh, they they probably weren't going to win regardless of what team they sent, but they got good minutes into a team. They got good rest in them and they still put it up to them. So, you know, I don't like the idea that, oh, it's, it's just demeaning the competition the way that the commentary was the week before because that's, you know, the competition... You have to manage seasons. If the competition lends itself to change around for a trip away, you have to do that. You can't be playing the same 23 for an entire season. Same um, commentators so, won't say they're demeaning the URC when Leinster rotate their team, do you know? No, like but Leinster also regularly win with rotated teams, so it's hard, it's hard to say that. But uh, no. That's me, me slagging off the commentators there, Sam. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no, no. But uh, no, like I, I thought Leinster, Leinster will you know, probably not be overly overly uh, annoyed by the in- entire experience of the game, but there will be elements of that first half that they'll want to work on because I, don't, I think that they were they were outsmarted for portions of it, but they managed to work it out. So it's a good it's a good result in the grand scheme of things for Leinster. What are they? They're nine points from five. Like that's two excellent results to start off their campaign. They're pretty much through, I'd say, uh, that mathematically. So they, they'll they'll have a couple of small work-ons, but nothing too much. Uh, I thought Prendergast when he came on was quite good. Frawley was, you know, maybe not as good as people wanted him to be. It's very different being the starting 10 uh, than coming on as 10. You know, you run that week as the starting 10, so there's an added pressure to it. Uh, I thought, you know, Prendergast maybe got the benefit of being the backup 10 that came on and kind of made made himself look good, and that's a, a big European debut for him. Yeah, um, a lot of news uh, linked to Lancer this week. Uh, Westy, we'll go through them. But first, uh, Caelan Dar signed a central contract today. Um, on on a central contract. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, till the end was of twenty twenty seven. So the next uh, World Cup cycle was it confirmed? It was Leinster. I saw Ireland announced he signed a new deal, but it could be with Connacht. I don't know. I didn't actually. It's read a good the point. Article, but... It's a great point. Uh, Wes, do you want to break some news on the podcast here? Today? Got it started an under twelve blitz in Balna. I am saying. I think he he did. He say invested it, early in Galen Darris. His biggest influence was uh, Jonathan West. Uh, yeah, his big reference uh, with me being the other side of the world. <laughs> Yeah, in China. as physically far away as possible. <laughs> that's that's what they wanted to get him away from him. Uh, but look, I think that's that's smart business. We've been kind of complaining about some of the central contracts that have been handed out. Kieran Doris is not one that I'm going to argue. Um, he was very very vital for a lot of the good stuff that Ireland did and uh, locking them down. Uh, someone made a good point today. Like Ireland do a really good job of keeping talent in Ireland. You have to say like not not a ton of players ever really go, especially the top dogs. Um, to you know, to France or whoever it is who might be offering more money. So credit where credit's due, but I think the the ones that are finalising up this year, I saw was Conor Murray and Peter Manny. I doubt they will be re-signed to central contracts uh, at the end of the season. You never know, who knows? But I can see them both maybe going down to provincial contracts. But we'll we'll wait and see. Um, other contract news uh, linked with Leinster is obviously RG Snyman. Apparently, Snyman is how we should be pronouncing it. Uh, linked with a half a million or just under half a million. Uh, move uh, per year with to Leinster from Munster. Um, a lot of smoke here, so I don't think there's. I don't think this is not uh, at least being discussed or negotiated. Um, I posed a question on Twitter today: Is he worth that money? I don't think he is. I know how good he is when he plays, and I know he's the type of player that maybe Leinster would would definitely want. But I mean, how how useful for is he for a, a Champions Cup semi final against La Rochelle if he's on the sideline in a, in a boot or something like that? I don't know, Wes, am I being harsh here? I feel like there's too much of a sample size here of injuries for for the money that's being spent as well. 
um, which is a colossal from Leinster. And maybe it's just a massive fuck you to Munster, which I'm here for. If if you have the mind to do that, then fair enough. But do you think Orgy Stamen's worth five hundred thousand a year? A year? Uh, I, I don't know. It's like it's a tough one. So if you look back at the record of the last uh, of the last four years, do you know was he played for months? I saw some mad statistics. He's only played like two hundred and eighty minutes for Munster. It's, in the, it's but, small. Yeah. But if you if you turn around to Munster fans and say how much was that URC title worth, then you know I mean I think they're pretty happy with it. You know. And well, here's my like, question: how how much is that linked to him? Well, I believe he played the last couple of games. He he helped them steer the ship home at the end of the season and knock out rugby. He helped get them there. Do you know? Okay, they they finished what seventh, eighth in the league, um, but that didn't matter because they were able to see it home. And I think he was a he was a integral part of seeing them through at the end of the season. I'm not saying it's worth half a million for you know three games, but you know I, no, I think I know you put I know it, he's he played. I'm not saying he didn't play. I'm saying like. There was a lot of things that went right for Munster in that in that yeah. run of games. But you look at maybe, you know, we don't know for certain, but Yaki Zinabar is definitely going to know. He, he, I would imagine he has quite a massive influence off the pitch. I mean, he certainly seems to. He's a very, very popular character in Munster circles anyway. And it's no shock that they all of a sudden have second rows who are coming through. The likes of a dog boat, the likes of a hern. Okay, I know he's playing six now, but like RG Simon's done a fair bit of that playing second row and playing six as well, you know, over the years. Um, and he's been pretty outstanding for the Springbok. So I think if you're signing him to do a specific role uh, and you have the kind of deep pockets the Leinster have, you know, what you have to imagine is a 500,000 a year to Leinster isn't 500,000 a year to Connacht. You know, like it's, you know, they have money to burn. And, and you know, we all heard the rumours that he was paid externally when he was playing for Munster. So, um, yeah, I, I think you get him and you really, really hope that lightning doesn't strike twice uh, because, you know, if he ends up out injured again long-term, you're in quite a lot of trouble there. But, um, it, it's nice to see him stay in Ireland after you know because he's been here for so long. We haven't actually got to see him play too much for for Irish clubs. My one question, and I genuinely don't know the answer to this. I'm not trying to shitster. Is what is Jason Jenkins' story? Is he he's out Irish qualified at the end of the season? So uh, if if they sign Simon, they'll have to let Jenkins go. Well, it was it's fairly like well reported that he was going anyway. Uh, I was going to actually literally bring that up and say like. I know we've Josh Murphy coming back, uh, but I actually don't think Jason Jenkins would be too bad a signing for Connacht. I know he's probably out of our price range, but he's the that type of player that we need. Leinster picked him, identified him coming from Munster or from Munster because he was the type of player that they needed. Uh, and I know he's no Orgy Snaman, but he's you know he would be a significant one for us. But I think we just have we have too many second rows there. You probably have to see that maybe the likes of a Dowling or something moving on, uh, which I just I'd be a big shame to lose him to Jason Jenkins, but. Why is Jason Jenkins out of our price range? What is Jason Jenkins? I on? from when he signed for Leinster, it was rumored that he was on huge money. Uh, oh yeah, moved... no, I'm saying that, but I'm saying why? Why? What? What have we seen, or what has he done that warrants that price tag? He he made a significant impact when he arrived at Leinster. He brought a lot of the stuff that they said they had been missing for a long time. He didn't maintain that, and they didn't end up playing him as much as they thought they would have against like La Rochelle at the end of the season. But when he first arrived at Leinster, it was being touted like he was the missing link. He was exactly what they had needed. He was scoring tries. He was like dominating in the mall. He was a lot of the stuff that we would do and need. You know, I think I think he's probably because of his size and because of where he's from, he's probably commanding a little bit more money than he is actually worth. But you pay for bulk in in rugby. It just it's it's the hardest thing to get, and that's what he brings for one. You know. Oh yeah, I'd I'd like him. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying, like, for him to say that he, you know, we can't afford. I'm not saying he is saying that. I'm just saying, like, you know, for for his price tag to be outside of Connacht's range, 
um, I think is, you know, Munster and Leinster now have let him, will be letting him go. Yeah, but I think I think France and Japan will always pay for that. And then there is also money back in South Africa. They're looking, you know, Snayman was linked with a move back to South Africa. So they'll be looking for players to come back as well. So there are other teams, you know, if he was an Irish qualified player, I think that he would be less out of our price range than if he's South African, just because Irish qualified players like to stay in Ireland because of all the reasons he said, you know, the good player welfare, the tax breaks at the end of your career, all of those things. But he'll have options. He'll have South Africa. He'll have Japan. He'll have France. Uh, and that makes him out of our price range. No, I I understand it. It, it annoys me that that's the case because, like, you know, Munster and Lens are talking about signing these big players, and uh, it's just like we're not even playing the same sport at at times. But um, yeah, be interesting to see how that unfolds. I think yeah, the, the big point that I I keep kind of forgetting about is the is the Neenbar stuff. It's like yeah, of course, why like if if he can get paid that money and play with the coach that he just won the World Cup with, then yeah, it's a bit of a no brainer staying. As it like probably plays a handful of times and only in big games, like it's it sounds like a no brainer, but obviously Munster fans are upset, but uh, that's just the case. But um, speaking of Munster as well, on transfer news, Joey Carberry being linked with a move to Bordeaux, um, I think to back up Jolly Bear when he's away. Um, interesting, I think I don't think it's a bad move for Joey, I don't think the future for Connacht is, is Crowley, uh, I think that's evident now. Um, uh, I don't know what Wes is doing. He's throwing gang You said the future for Connacht. You mean the future for Munster? Did I say Connacht? Apologies. I just knew. I just know. I didn't want to break the huge news story coming next week that Crowley's signing with Connacht. Uh, sorry, you have to edit that out. Uh, apologies. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, like Westy, uh, it's not a bad move for for Carby, right? I think his future is kind of been kind of laid out from here. It's not in a green jersey, ideal or realistically, and it's probably not in a red jersey either. Yeah, it's a good move for him if he's calling time on the Ireland stuff. And again, right now, I say that with a pinch of salt because he's still only, what, 27? So we could do two years abroad and come back. You know, I'm not saying it's not definitely over. Um, one thing I would say, and it, it's all well and good if you're brought into a system where Jolly Bear is your, is your decided start in 10. Um, you might maybe play a bit of fullback from him as well. But the French system is a little bit more relentless than the Irish system, a little bit more relentless than the URC. You know, they pay they play twenty-six games a season. That's not including Europe. Um, and it's a physical hard hitting um season. Now they tend to have bigger squads with more rotation, but my point is if you're an injury prone player like Joey Carberry, getting thrown into the to the wolves in the top fourteen um might be a difficult transition for him. But as I say, if if he's happy to take a step back from his Ireland chances, if he wants to build up game time and, and get back into form, like top fourteen is a brilliant place to go. Um I think most players that go there report back that it's a, it's a great life. It's it's a great uh, environment to play in. You know, it's it's one of the few leagues um, that you play in where you know where rugby is so big. Do you know, like even in terms of the Premiership, like right, you know, they get decent turnouts for the higher end games. But your know, top fourteen games, you know, you're selling out stadiums almost week in week out. Now, not literally, but you know, like it's it's a it's a it's one of the it, it's. France is probably the country of rugby is, is technically the biggest and, and has the uh, widest kind of fan base. So um, that all adds to the appeal of playing at kind of, um, you know, on the big stage, the big show or whatever. Um, so it, it's a good move for him from a career-wise. If it's a good move for Joey Carberry, I'm not 100% sure. If you can't stay fit in the URC, then, I don't know, top 14 could um, could be a very difficult move for him. I think he has a year left in his contract as well, so they'll have to buy him out of it. I think the only way that that would be the case and that Munster would allow him to go is if they're actively looking for a replacement. 
Uh, and if the IRF you were trying to maybe, you know, shell a few players around, the likes of Frawley, who wants to be a 10, uh, maybe Harry Tector, who's down the pecking order there, and he's, you know, he had a high prospect. So I don't think Munster go for this or do this without him being first bought out of his contract and second, a guarantee the IRF you were going to put something else in place. Well, you know, it's not like the IRFU to help bail out Munster with, you know, contracts. Um, shout out Simon Zebo. Um, yeah, would would Sam Carberry Connacht? Would you take him? No, uh, we don't need injury-prone players. Now that's very harsh because he's a phenomenal player and he would be our best ten if he was able to stay fit. But he's shown he hasn't been able to stay fit, and I don't want to take a risk on a player like that. Uh, he would, you know, he would want to command a starting spot and come in. We have two good tens. I really like both of them. I know they're not neither without their flaws. I don't think Joey Carberry's without his flaws. If he came to Connacht, yeah, I get behind him. But if he came to Connacht, I think it would be more as a fifteen because what we need at the moment with Santi being injured and Tiernan kind of being injured and maybe no, not off form, but not in the same form he was in in the past. Is we need a more solid fifteen option, I reckon. Uh, so that's why I would take him, but I don't think he'd bother. To be honest, I think if this didn't work for Munster, I think he just he would probably want to take just a change from Ireland. You know, from he's not in the Irish setup by the looks of it. Crowley is, uh, and then there's other players around like Prendergast is coming through that I think are more in contention than he is, and Frawley as well. You know, the Irish coaches like him, so I don't think he'd even even consider it personally. Uh, and I wouldn't at the moment pay for the player that you know he, if he could prove he was fit in France for two years. You know, get through that relentlessness, like get through that kind of really attritional league, like Wesley said, and then he was looking for a move back to Ireland. Yeah, happy days, bring him in. But I just, I wouldn't at the moment, no. So, Wes, you nodded your head vigorously when I when I when I phrase that question. So you'd take him in a heartbeat, obviously. Um, I agree with everything Sam said. Like, I, I don't disagree. Uh, a player of that caliber right now, yeah, we need a fullback. Uh, if he was fit, I'd take him on a, on a short term deal. Uh, look, I think. Joey Carberry, the issue has never been talent. We all know that. Like, like the issue, the talent is there. It's, it's the game plan, the consistency, and the growth that he's never really all got right at the same time. Um, uh, depending on the deal, I, I would take him. Yeah, um, but primarily as a fullback at the minute, I think. You're so disrespectful to Porchy. Give the man some time. Jesus, we, he's only bad. We don't have to. Okay, so Porchy gets injured uh, five minutes into the game. Who comes on fullback? See, there you go. You don't have a backup. Guess, guess who'd also be injured? Joey Carberry. So, what's, what's the point of even having a conversation? <laughs> I loved, I love Porchy, but I don't think the coach's long-term plans have ever really... Like, he had a really stellar season at fullback and then didn't play for the next two years at fullback. And then we knew that he was supposed to play one game and it was Alex Wooten got injured, so he had to move back to the wing. And he just never seemed to be in contention there again. I think he has the, all the makings of a great fullback, but he just doesn't seem to be... Like, even the coaches put Mac fullback last week... Like, just doesn't seem to be what they want to do first. I think Santi, we know, was brought in with the idea that he would play exclusively fullback. Uh, and it unfortunately, the injury he got. Tiernan, I think, has been much better this season, but he's not quite been Tiernan of 2016. And he's only going to get older. So it's hard to kind of put that, you know. So if you were to bring in Kyrie, it would be at fullback. Yeah, it's not going to happen, but it's a funny hypothetical. But uh, only I'd only agree if it was like an Elvery's kind of you know buy one get one half price. So if we buy Jenkins and we get Carberry half price, just from both, I would I'd probably take that at some stage as well. But, you going into you going into lifestyle sports, buying an Adidas hoodie and then saying in Elvery's, I want these golf shoes for half price because I bought this in lifestyle. Yeah, because I'm a businessman. I'm a businessman. Okay, I'm an entrepreneur like Jeffrey Bezos. 
CEO, I drop an oar. What a what a banger! What a banger! But uh, speaking of Santi, uh, we will not be here next week. Uh, obviously, it is what Monday is actually Christmas Day, I think. Yeah, so uh, we won't be firing up the laptops uh, that evening. But uh, we will be back the following week uh, after New Year's Day, maybe the day or two after New Year's Day to recap um, the URC. Uh, and obviously the Ulster's game as well. We'll get all we'll get all done in the one big pod. But um, we'll wrap up there, boys. Thank you everyone for listening uh, so far this season, uh, which is fantastic. We hope everyone has a fantastic Christmas and a happy New Year. Uh, and we'll see you all in twenty twenty four for a couple of a couple of pods. Uh, cheers, boys. As always, catch us next week. Or actually, not next week. I'm too used to saying that next week. So catch you next year. Oh, I can say that. That's cool. See you next year, guys. Night night. <laughs>